This week's episode is dedicated to our first Master of Orion tier patron, Eerie Forest Studios, who requested that we discuss our favorite Forex game mechanics and why they were so great. Here's to you, Eerie Forest Studios. Thank you. Welcome to the Forex Exchange, an Explominate podcast where we talk about Forex, strategy, and tactics games news, patches, devlogs, and much more. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Four Exchange Show. I am your host, Rob. Tonight, I am joined by Strategia. Welcome, Strategia. Hello. Hello. Very long time to hear from you. It's great. Uh, if those of you who don't know, Strategia used to be a part of our Forex Gaming podcast. It's good to see you. Good to hear from you. And I can see you, which is crazy. No, but I can see you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and Ben, we have Ben. Hi. Hello. And I'm also joined by Kirk. Good evening. Hello, everybody. It's great to have you. It's such a full house here. And finally, we have Eric Tortuga Power. Wow, it's been a long time since this has happened. I'm excited. This has got me really excited. So, I mean, uh, wow, it's a full house. We have five of us here. And tonight's topic is going to be about our favorite mechanics of Forex games. And really not like... There was an episode we did not too long ago where we mishmashed all of our favorite Forex mechanics and like made like a Frankenstein Forex. But this is more about like a subjective discussion about like some of the things we like and some of the stuff that we just personally like, not like, you know, that we feel like would objectively make a good game. So before we do that, however, there are some news items we'd like to get into. First up in Forex and strategy game news, I'll start by telling you that the Battle of Polytopia, which is like one of the best Forex games on your mobile devices, is now coming to Steam on August 4th. Yay! And it will be called Moonrise? I don't know what that's all about. The the Battle of Polytopia Moonrise is how they're calling it. So that will be coming August 4th for all you Polytopia fans. I've had a, a chance to play it on Steam and it's just like you'd expect the game on steam on a computer so yeah i think there's probably going to be an audience for it but i'm not sure how many people are going to play it on steam when they can just pick it up on their phone have you guys any of you guys here a fan of polytopia yeah i'm a pretty big fan and uh so is my wife honestly i slightly regret introducing her to it because uh she destroys me at it now nice nothing like getting your butt kicked in a forex game by your wife nothing like it Nothing, nothing like it. <laughs> hey, and something we forgot to mention in the last episode is that, and this is something kind of big actually, because for, you know, I think this is actually great. This is so great because everything's coming full circle. And way back when, when we did the Forex Gaming podcast through the subreddit, I used to harp on John Schaefer all the time. And again, that was years ago. And now I get to harp on him again. 
because it took like eight months for him to come out with version 1.4, which is now the diplomacy update to At The Gates. And wow, from everyone that I've heard from, including myself, it's pretty underwhelming. It's very basic and it doesn't change any of the facts or any of the the rest of the stuff. The, the game that, that should be there is still not there, but we have diplomacy now. So yay. Um, Advocates is a game that I feel like was probably one of the most disappointing games for me in a long time because it was so close to being so good and yet it has fallen short in just every imaginable way. And on top of that, it just seems like John Schaefer takes his sweet damn time on doing any of it. So we'll wait another eight months before the next update. Has anybody here actually played this game a lot? Because I've not touched it. I, I avoided it because um, there was too much negative kind of, well, too many negative reviews really and too many people that I know saying, nah, don't bother with that game yet. Wait for a little while. And, you know, I mean, was it John Schaefer did Civ Five, right? And that's not a bad game. So he's clearly capable of making good games. And I know that he had some personal issues going on behind the scenes that, you know, really set him back on his development progress. But I'm interested to know if any of you guys played it and liked it at all. Well, yes, I did. I actually reviewed it for Explominate and gave it a very generous consider. I mean, I, I guess, I, like I said, I was pretty disappointed in the the long term of what happened with At The Gates, but the game that came out and the game that was there underneath all these, like, you know, like half-baked and half-assed game mechanics was actually really good. Like, there's an economy system there that reminds me a lot of the old school colonization game where you're having to like basically have people generate resources and then use those resources for other resources. And, you know, there's like a, basically like a supply chain, a resource chain that you need to develop in order to like, you know, create a larger civilization and and actually become capable of defending yourself against the Romans and all these things. But, you know, it's, it it came short. It it fell short in so many ways. It really did. I was going to, um, do some playing of it, but uh, I was actually looking at some of the reviews and they were getting like, it was getting mediocre, which I, I actually thought some of those reviews were generous. And when I was playing it, I didn't just outright hate it, but I, I didn't really, it didn't really click with me. So I decided not to do any kind of content for it because I, mean, I felt like <laughs> the mediocre reviews were already kind of a slap in the face enough for, for John Schaefer. But it's funny because I remember for so long you were talking about this game, Rob, and and we have kind of followed John Schaefer's <laughs> rise and fall ever since Civ Five, And kind of interesting that he is still developing actively the game. I didn't even realize that. I guess that's how off the map this game has fallen. I played it a little. It, it was okay. Like I, I generally, uh, I can definitely see all the problems, but I do uh, something that's going to come up again. I appreciate the ideas behind it and the, the, the attempts at... Uh, at making something new and innovative, even if it missed the mark. And the whole thing with the complex economy and uh, the way the tech tree is laid out, I am an absolute sucker for, for stuff like that. So that really, uh, the, that kind of scratched my itch. But I, um, it's really interesting as well to have uh, uh, the whole nomadic mechanic where you're, you're moving around uh, the area instead of building your city. And that's where you are, that's where the city is going to be for the entire rest of the game. But, uh, it's yeah. It, it 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 had a lot of potential and it had a lot of interesting ideas and some specific appeal to to me. Uh, but it yeah, it, it could have been so much more. Yeah, agreed. I think the nomadic thing wor- would have worked and actually does work decently well if he had kind of 
if he'd really just committed himself to the damn game, maybe we could have seen something much better. But he just, he, he, I know he he has excuses. I'm going to call him excuses because that's what they feel like every time. But he's got like health problems and his dog ate his homework and all this other stuff. So every time he's come back and he'd be like, I'm sorry, it's taking so long. But, you know, um, the third star in the sky was intersecting with the fourth and I just didn't feel well for a month. And <laughs> it's all this crappy, crappy excuse, bull crap. And I'm just, what could have been will never be. And that's a very sad story. Yeah. So basically just, if I'm going to put my Rob positivity translator on there, um, that game could have been good if it was good. <laughs> yes, it could have been good if it was good. Did he come out with, um? were there more excuses beyond the original delay? Um, is there like further reasons or excuses for why 1.4 is taking so long? I, I mean, I have no sense of the game after release. I haven't followed it at all. Anytime he's asked, he says that basically he's working on it when he wants to. Which I don't know. He moved to like Sweden or Norway, one of those Scandinavian countries, and he's now he's now like I guess just living life <laughs> and doing things outside of programming full time. My my I guess my thoughts are that he's realized he burned himself out really easily, and he kind of only programs when he feels like it. So that was, that's why things take so long. But it is what it is, and he I, I know that he he's making other games too so at least he has a plan so we'll see anyway so there's civilization 6 too and we talked about it from the frontier pass last week and now they've unveiled the secret societies as part of the new gameplay mechanics which actually look pretty cool there was some concerns about the like the i don't know the canon of it all because i don't know if you guys saw but there's like now like vampires and stuff in the game and other weird like fantasy elements that have been now introduced to civilization six all of which are optional but there was some concerns and some discussion about whether or not that should have been introduced into civilization six i'm totally cool with it i think it looks pretty cool and then we have ethiopia which was unveiled and i didn't actually watch the video so does anybody know what their like gameplay shtick is crickets <laughs> we're really good forex podcasts all right yeah well i didn't either to be fair and that's probably because i don't have much interest in civilization six so although i i will admit the secret societies thing kind of got me a little excited because it feels like maybe they're trying to maybe broaden their horizons a little bit and change things up a little bit my take on civilization is i i would usually wait for the game to be completely finished which is about the time the next one's gonna be released and then I'll fully play the previous one. So I'll start playing six when they're doing seven. Yeah, I'm just about to start playing Civ five, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm playing Civ five. That's what I'm doing too. <laughs> okay, well then in about like five months to a year, we'll have something to tell you about Civilization Six. Because then I have a feeling Civ Seven is probably a twenty twenty one thing. So they're they're looking at finishing up this frontier pass like early next year, and I imagine maybe a few months after that they'll have Civ Seven, at least being teased. Anyways, finally we have Stars and Shadow, which actually, I mean, we're talking about games that have been developed forever and continue to be developed, sort of like behind the scenes. Stars and Shadow came out with a full-on patch 
the biggest feature of which is now a relations screen. So you can see everyone's relations with each other. And like what what is probably like a typical Forex mechanic, right? You can pull up the screen, you can see how everybody feels about each other and so on and so forth. But that also comes with a like a lot of bug fixing, some balance changes and stuff like that. And again, like I said last week, where I think Ben asked me if I had any idea what was going on behind the scenes there, they are actively working on their expansion. So I think this may may just be paving the way a little bit for the expansion, which is exciting. And hopefully we'll hear more about that soon. Awesome. So that is all we have for news, which is not that much, unfortunately. So let's get into our topic. All right, so like I said before, our topic for the Forex Gaming Podcast today, or I'm sorry, this is not the Forex Gaming Podcast. This is the Forex Exchange. I'm so used to all these people being part of the Forex Gaming Podcast that I am forgetting that this is the Forex Exchange show and the Explorinate Podcast, but you guys have all jumped on and I like it. But what we're going to do today is kind of discuss some of the things we like most about Forex and some of the game mechanics that have presented themselves in various games in the past and maybe even present and our, our mechanics that really kind of stand out to us. So I'll go ahead and start, kind of get the ball rolling, kind of get the creative juices flowing for everybody here. And I'll say that the Sword of the Stars 1, or and 2, I should say, because they're both pretty similar, Research Tree is one of my favorites. And that's because of, I, first of all, I always enjoy exploration of any type, right? So I think we we I've made it pretty clear that in the past that the exploration mechanic of Forex games really gets me. I enjoy finding new things and so on and so forth, but when it comes to the research tree, I'm really I'm just really tired of static research trees. And I feel like almost every Forex game now has a static Forex or a static research tree. And what Sword of the Stars did that was so unique was that each game you had a like a balanced, like a weighted chance for getting certain tech topics that you could have access to. And with that, you could choose a variety of different texts that maybe no one else got, or maybe like one of your one or two of your opponents were getting too. But you know, it depending depending on which race you chose would kind of weigh in more on which of those topics you were more likely to see. And as a result, every time you started up a game and every time you played through a game, you were met with different tech choices. And I was obsessed with it. It was great. It really worked to like the excitement of discovery. And it also made a little bit more sense. Like I feel like, I mean, I'm not trying to go like real world or anything, but like if you're going down a research path, you're more likely to discover things that you didn't think you were going to discover as you were going through a technology or like going through various uh, technologies and, and uncovering various new technologies, I think that there would be opportunities for you to be like, oh, wow, there's this thing that we didn't think of. And here's this as a result of maybe our fusion bomb technology uh, led us to realize that we could use fusion in some other ways, you know, stuff like that. So I, I just thought it was really cool that you could start with a very basic tree and it kind of just trickled out, it kind of treed out as you continued your research. 
Other, do you want us all to comment on yours or propose our own research-related ones or jump to different ones? If you have something to say about anything here, and any of us, if they have anything to say about anybody's you know, anybody's choice, please chime in. I mean, even if you like, absolutely not, that's the worst thing ever. That's cool too. So I didn't play the sort of the stars. So as far as research trees go, um, my favorite mechanic is when you have the two tiered research tree, one for like the science, the actual discovery of an idea, and then a second related research that you actually develop something practical. I really enjoy those. Uh, They've done it. Most recently it was done in the Shadow Empire game. Um, it's also been done in like Aurora 4X. You would research a topic and then you would actually have to design some part based on that technology. I really like that because I feel like that that's actually how the world works. We have science pushing the frontiers, some theoretical stuff, but then you need somebody to actually develop some engineering part for it. Um, and that's why the government throws a ton of money at science because they're hoping that science pushes the boundary and then they pay some you know developers or defense contractors to actually make something useful out of it. Yeah, wasn't it um, Polaris Sector also had a similar kind of idea? Um, I think that was the first game that I played that had anything that kind of came, that, that had that two-tiered branch. Um, I quite liked that. I thought it was interesting because I guess the way that we ab- we abstract research in most games kind of comes from Master of Orion and Civ, and, you know, they, they there aren't that many games that deviate from that, really. I only played Swords of the Stars 1 very briefly. And honestly, um, the most noticeable thing about that research tree was the fact that it was in 3D. Like, you you kind of, like, scrolled around. If I remember right, it's on a kind of wheel, and you scroll it around, and then it kind of branches off in different directions. So I can't speak of the game mechanics necessarily, but just visually, it looked great. It was really really interesting the way they presented that. Yeah, I'm also a pretty big fan of the the two-tier way of doing it, just because... Uh, as Tortuga mentioned, it's, it's, it feels a lot more realistic. It feels a lot more that uh, you're making policy and science policy in the future, uh, which is kind of thing that I kind of want to feel. Um, one one notable deviation that also does do randomness is Stellaris, which I think I like the concept more than the execution, but uh, I do enjoy how the tech ties into the story elements. Yeah, no, and I was going to say the same thing. I actually was going to bring up Solaris as well. I think that Solaris does a pretty good job because it's also random, but it, it doesn't, there isn't a weighted feel. So this is an opportunity I thought Solaris could have had in making their various like faction types new and asymmetric or like unique and asymmetric. And that like maybe, you know, the if you picked a lithoid, they might have had a, a higher chance of getting some sort of like terraforming text and stuff like that. But you don't. And that's unfortunate. But yeah, with Stellaris, I do agree that it's fun because, you know, you'll never know which which tech choices you're going to be provided with from the get go. And then you don't know where the next ones are coming from right you might you might be looking for one of those texts that you know are going to really help out like the for me i like the auto explore tech so i'm always waiting for that one to pop up um just to to torque to tor- tortugas man say that five times fast to tortuga powers or you know what eric you're being called eric from now on so to eric's point i do like the two-tiered thing and i also think that interstellar space genesis did a really fun thing where each time you were presented with a strategic resource and you wanted to exploit that strategic resource, you had two different ways to go about it, right? You could go down the cultural civilian way of looking at it, or you could look at it militarily and and develop that technology based on those 
you know, those choices. And anytime for me, you make a hard choice in a game, in any game, especially a Forex game, I like it because it, it adds replayability. And also, it's just an opportunity to, you know, kind of scratch your head for a second and think, all right, what do I want to do here? So I like that. Yeah, so Stellaris doesn't have the uh, the weighted stuff, but the, the weighted text by uh, by Empire, but they do have it tied into the to the leader system, where the, the different specialties can give you different weights, and some of them, uh, uh, I think, so the some of them uh, are actually required to unlock certain ultra rare techs. So it it's it is a sort of weighted random, but it's more something that you can manip- manipulate in game, and it it does mean that uh, sometimes. You'll be swapping out leaders a bit more than just whenever one of them dies, because you want to to, to boost the chances of getting certain techs. But it's uh, it's still it, it's a little bit undercooked, but it is uh, it is a bit more interactive than just uh, than than almost any other game. It's exactly that. It's it is undercooked, and one of the like I think somebody just mentioned this. One of the good things that Solaris does is that um, the the story elements are tied into the research to some extent. So, you know, for example, you come across a new uh, new faction, you actually have to research, um, you know, the communications technology you need for that specific race. And, you know, there are there are things that crop up over the map that you will find that you need to research and they set off story changes. That's really cool. And that's one of that's one of Stellaris's great points, right? That it really ties in the 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 story and the exploration element. Unfortunately, at least personally speaking, I just find that the way that Stellaris presents the research a little bit underwhelming. It doesn't doesn't always feel that exciting as you're working through the tech tree. And I think part of the reason is that you can't really see it. I mean, let's look at something like Distant Worlds, right, which is an undeniably good game. But um, the tech tree, it doesn't have anything, any of this sort of any of these interesting features that we've been discussing you can actually see where you're going with it right and you can kind of plot your course through the through the research without really knowing the game super intimately and that's that's kind of standard across these kind of master orion like games right and stellaris it sort of i don't know it just felt a little bit underwhelming in that respect so whilst it did approach it did some interesting things with research in um it still felt kind of generic in a in a, in a way as well so the, the stuff that they added just wasn't really enough to keep it interesting uh, i'm sorry did I, did I hear undeniably good yeah, it's undeniably good, man. <laughs> okay, I didn't realize it's a Discord into an alternate universe of some kind. Okay, well, um, aside from research, which is definitely... Actually, this segues kind of nicely into from research. One of the things I really like to see in a game is some kind of ship or unit design. And for me, the more complicated, the better. I, like, I love the Aurora system, although that's actually pushing the boundaries of maybe being too complex, you know, <laughs> designing your individual missiles and all that um but designing the engines everything i really like the more complicated the shipping unit design is and especially when it's nice when you feel rewarded for your research um that unlocks new ship or unit design options um but this is this is how i actually i when you see your units you know fighting if you've built them yourself you're so much more connected to them it's it feels like there's such a greater desire to play the game because I'm, I want to see how my units are going to do um, when I have a, a complicated ship or unit design. I'd agree. I think there's a fine line for someone like me between getting enough detail and, and then overloading me with detail because I don't want to spend 40 minutes in a unit designer every time I want to design a unit. I really appreciate like a system like where Star Ruler 2 had and you could 
you know, automate some of the, the ship designs and kind of just like keep hitting that like refresh button until you got a good design that you liked. But I also enjoy a game like Star Drive, right, where you can get in and put in individual modules and really tailor it to the kind of game that you want or the, the kind of ship you want it to be. And with that being said, too, again, you know, I, I can appreciate that some people want to put like 400 hours into a Star Drive ship and make it the best ship that it could possibly make it. But, you know, I, I just don't want to spend too much time there. I do, however, feel very passionate about the fantasy unit designers, like something like Endless Legend or even Fallen Enchantress Legendary Heroes, where you just have more. There's there's a there's a lot of fun there, too. Again, with, with what you said, where, you know, if you have you have more of a vested interest in how your your battles go and how your units are when you design them yourself and you're able to see like what that new weapon or whatever and 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 fallen enchantress's case like you get to like once some of those weapons you find out in your quests and stuff like that and then you're able to put it on one of your units you're like oh yes i can't wait to fight this next person and see how badly this like wreck stuff so totally good i'm with you i like it i mean i like the i like the design a lot for the personalization uh aspects but also i i think i think that a lot of them also adds a lot of depth to a lot of the games a lot of interesting choices that need to be made uh like stuff how i like the design in um the endless series uh fantasy or space either either one how it interacts with the the resources often a lot of the choices are do you want this uh slightly worse weapon but with the resources that are easier to acquire or if the enemy has a chokehold and a resource maybe you can't build that one anymore so it's a, a threat or has a focus on something else so there's that that aspect of it of how it interacts with the other systems that are in play and uh i also just enjoy you know master ryan 2 towards the end game was broken and it was very much broken on purpose because by then you should have won the game by the time that you can uh absolutely go to town on some ridiculous death star uh it's fun it's cathartic and you it gives you that climax of the end game I want to give an honorable mention to uh, uh, the unit designer in Alpha Centauri because it's uh, it, it, it's somewhat simpler than a lot of uh, the unit designers that we see today. But for its time, it was uh, like it, it was pretty good, and it's still uh, very interesting. It, it gives uh, the, the linear progression of like weapons and armor is a bit, but uh, the everything else about it, the the, the special abilities in particular. Uh, it, it's there, 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 there is there is a lot of depth there with with a relatively simple system that you don't have to sink uh, forty hours into to, to get optimal uh, results, but you can if you want to. Also, you can name your units uh, whatever you want, which is always fun. And to contrast that, um, we can look at a game like Galsiv Three, uh, where they really went overboard on the unit designs to the point that you can spend hours if you want to just messing around with the way that things look by. You know, they've created a full model um, creation tool in there, you know, so you can create your ships and alter different, you know, the sizes of all the different components and, you know, rotate them and scale them in and out and change the color. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. And um, I understand that they spent a huge amount of money and time developing this system, which is completely, completely extraneous to the uh, game mechanics whatsoever. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, that, that's one example of a game where perhaps they went a little bit too far. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think Galsiv is is this bizarre uh, middle ground where somehow they found a way of uh, 
take it's a very simplistic combat system that they mix with this incredible customization tool that has no connection to the rest of the game which is very bizarre but but in general when i'm looking for for design i also uh to go loop all, circle all the way back to what uh, eric was saying about how far uh, aurora goes I, I think aurora has a very niche appeal and i can definitely see who's who who would enjoy that and there's you know certain certain times a day that's the guy that i am but uh other times i just want to be able to have real meaningful choices kind of more in a granular chunky kind of way in the way that um uh, even like master of ryan or, or the end of the series in particular has always caught my fancy where it's just a few hard points you decide what goes in them there's choices to be made and it you don't have to spend a million years on it and it's also really comes down to that hard calculation of like calculating dps for your units and like I would say that Aurora Forex is a little bit too deep for me, even some days. I mean, many days. Uh, Distant Worlds for me was probably the sweet spot for ship design, where I think it's just perfect because you don't have to do too much, but um, researching, you you like drive towards specific techs just because you want your ships to have that. And then you get it, you have to completely redesign your ship for the holes. We'll see if how much of that is uh, going to apply to Distant Worlds too, but that was... Uh, that was the game where I would build ships and then save those templates and then look forward to playing a new game and getting to the point where I had the technology to like load those old templates. And I remember that I was very invested, like, okay, is this ship, is it good? How's it doing? Or when I had one that was working, I'd be like, I couldn't wait to get that ship unlocked again. And it was like, that's my ship. That's the javelin, you know, or whatever it was. That's the one that's going to cut through these guys. Yeah, actually... On that note, what I really enjoy, and that happens in very few other Forex uh, games, is having a combat simulator built into the designer. Yeah, that's, uh, Space Empires 4. Uh, that, that's really, like, the game is still fun, hasn't aged particularly well, but the simulator is such a godsend. And it's kind of, uh, it, it, I, kind of I don't understand really why uh, so few other games have it, because it's, it's such, especially in the unit design games, it is such an, an important feature. Uh, so I have uh, basically uh, two things I want to talk about. Start with one, uh, which uh, a lot of people can like probably agree on. Uh, it's the the terrain uh, and the map from uh, from Alpha Centauri because I uh, like there have been some other games where ele- like elevation matters, but I can't think of any to my knowledge where it matters to the degree that it does in Alpha Centauri. The whole terrain terraformation mechanic is uh, is really really cool and can can make a huge difference. You can actually, by raising and lowering the terrain, you can alter uh, rainfall patterns and alter fertility. Like you can uh, improve the food yield of your own tiles. You can starve out uh, tiles around enemy cities. Uh, you can lower terrain into the water, which can drown entire cities. Uh, there is so much you can do that you can only do in Alpha Centauri that. Again, to my knowledge, no other game has picked up quite like that. And that is such a shame because it is an incredibly cool mechanic and it should really, really be picked up more. Yeah, it's also interesting how the map was also in a way an opponent in the in the way they had your psychic worms and all kinds of nonsense ready to ruin your day if you weren't paying attention. And I think that's also kind of a lesson that could really be learned by a lot of games, both fantasy and science fiction, where the the map can really be a character and its own uh, antagonist in its own way 
Um, especially if you like you watched a few episodes of Star Trek, a bunch of weird stuff could happen sci-fi universes that don't happen on a map on a four X map that I'd like to see more often. Yeah, there hasn't been many games that really use the map in that way uh, since either. I think that Alpha Centauri was the first game that I uh, first four X game that I remember playing where it had such. I mean, just general customization of everything. It was one of the first games I remember playing where you could customize the units that you were creating. Uh, I don't think, I don't remember. I mean, okay, Master of Orion, obviously, and I guess, but not Master of Magic. Yeah, it was one of the, it was one of the earlier ones that you could do that. The fact that you could use the planet itself as a weapon, you know, so for example, if you're playing as the Gaians, you could, you, uh, you could go along that kind of hippie vegan vibe and, you know, kind of get the, the mind worms and, you know, the native life forms to actually fight alongside you and that kind of thing so yeah that that game had um it had some really really interesting mechanics in that respect and i actually forgot until strategia mentioned it that you could yeah you could starve out your opponents um by you know by raising up territory to cause rainfall on one side that was really really cool i've not seen anything that you know that's kind of done anything that interesting since really as civ civ beyond earth had you know it used sort of those satellite kind of technologies and that kind of thing but it wasn't quite the same yeah, and like the one of the things that uh, that always that kind of stays with you the first time you, the first time in Alpha Centauri that you use a planet buster the like the game's equivalent of nukes and you see just a gigantic area turn into a crater and not like a crater terrain feature or a crater decal but actually the whole terrain just and it it deletes a whole part of the map like it physically changes the topography there are like that that is amazing. And like the tie into what uh, what Kirk has said about the map uh, being being uh, uh, being your enemy, like there have been a few games that have tried to, to replicate Alpha Centauri, and they all try to do like they try to lift mechanics from Alpha Centauri without really understanding what makes it work. And some of the most tragic tragic parts are the whole thing with the Xenofungus and the Mindworms, which is so densely integrated in, into the everything. The story, the technology, the setting, everything in Alpha Centauri, which it just completely falls flat on its face when you turn them into just Civ barbarians, but now they're monstrous aliens. So that's like, there are so many ways in which Alpha Centauri was not just ahead of its time, but even to this day unique. And it's just, yeah, it's it's such a shame that uh, so few of its unique mechanics have been followed up on by other games. Yeah, so really, it's a perfect example of... um you know kind of a game that works in a gestalt way you know like it's it's more than the sum of its parts and another thing about this will segue into something i wanted to talk about which is alpha centauri had a really really strong feel and aesthetic to it Uh, everything about that game was just really really meticulously done so i mean the way that they the exposition of the story came through the the technology tree descriptions and the and the uh, the voice com recordings that were done there's so many games that have tried to do that since like let's think of age of wonders planetfall does it and i don't think it does it very well i've got to say i really don't like it in that game it just feels like a really bad ripoff of um of alpha centauri without like uh like strategic saying it really it, it lacks the surrounding the surrounding aesthetic that made that that thing so beautiful and so so clever in much the same way that you know i was talking about beyond earth in th- that game co- tried to create these characters but it missed everything that was interesting about the characters in in uh, alpha centauri they were just you know well this guy's different because he's scottish you know it's just not that's just not enough to really 
to make a character memorable it's not about what they are or their identity it's it's about how their story into is interwoven into the game mechanics and you know whether those characters are kind of memorable the, the game that i wanted to talk about just quickly was and this is related is master of magic i think master of magic has a really really beautiful aesthetic and i know that it's old you know it's like i can hear you saying ben this game was made in 1974 or something you know it's like it's barely 16 bit it, you know it, it just looks absolutely it looks absolutely crap today the yeah the the map graphics aren't great and you know they i think even at the time they they looked a little dated but what's so what's great about that game is the aesthetic around it and the way that they put so much effort into the character design and you know just these these wizards that you were fighting up against they were just even just in a few small short animations and some of the stuff that they said you really felt that you were coming up against personalities and the gameplay mechanics with regards sorry the game the, the the personalities of the characters they weren't actually that well developed in the game mechanics right there was a set of personality types and there was it was a two-tiered thing so you had like a um other games do this and shadow empire is the latest uh, um example of where you've got this kind of two tiers where they've got like a, a personality and then they've got a goal and that kind of thing but i think that master of magic stands up today because even with those old graphics, it's still full of character and it just feels fun to play because you really feel like you're you're coming up against these personalities. And even the unit design, um, you know, kind of, it, it worked in that way. Uh, just quickly, I think that uh, one of the games that really tried to do that was Warlock. And I think that Warlock had some success in, in mimicking that kind of, that aesthetic that Master of Magic was going for. And I think out of all of the Master of Magic clones, that's probably the most, the, the, the one that came closest to that. Uh, the thing what you said about the uh, the Alpha Centauri tech quotes, uh, like there have been uh, so, so there's been so much discussion about the characters and the personalities. I'm not going to go over that again, but with the tech quotes, uh, it's really interesting because you can kind of see uh, a story, like a, an almost canonical story progression based on who says what when. Uh, you can determine that you know when does uh, when do the believers get eliminated? Who eventually wins the game and how? Just by uh, by the tech quote, it's it's subtle, but you can really sort of chart uh, like a, a sort of a canonical progression for uh, for for what happens in the game just through only the tech quotes. Yeah, I, I, Brian Reynolds has a degree in philosophy, and it shows uh, a lot of his a lot of quotes in that game are, are fantastic. A lot of the ideas in it, the way that they steal man a lot of positions that I would normally not hold. Right when the the believers show up. You're like, oh, just a bunch of religious fanatics, whatever. And then they're like, oh, wait, what about the soul when you teleport? That's a problem. Oh, what about when we create AI gods that oversee our cities? That might be a problem too, right? <laughs> and it's, I don't know, it, it is really thoughtful uh, storytelling. Well, back to Ben's point and his love for Master Magic. Can I just say real quick that I never fell in love with it? I don't know why I still to this day, I feel like I should have. I, I remember playing it back in the day and feeling overwhelmed, which is strange because I was playing Master of Orion and I was also playing Civilization at the time. But I just remember always kind of never letting, allowing Master of Magic to grab me. So I love that you love it, but I don't know how I couldn't. Well, it's not a perfect game and it was pretty broken as well. So not only was it complex, but it was also... It had some serious flaws, and I mean, it's only really—I'd argue that it's Cerevi's, um Caster of Magic mod that has finally made it the game that it was really supposed to be. I guess in the same way that the Star Drive guys, uh, the Star, uh, the Black Box guys, have been modding Star Drive to make it 
a better game you know it's it, it's kind of equivalent but yeah just it, it, just ignoring master of magic as a game just for a moment it, it was really just the point about the the way that they they've made something that some people really like with regards to the aesthetics because look we can forgive we can forgive old gra- old games for bad graphics yeah and so you can forgive master of magic for looking a bit old and dated in the same way that you might forgive uh, master of ryan one for having old graphics because it's just the it was the limitations of the technology and the platforms that they were on at the time but there's no excuse in today in today's market to make games with really bland boring characters and graphics and aesthetics i mean i'm always ripping on deity empires for this but if they if those guys for example they've made quite a good game if they made if they just put a little bit more effort into making less generic characters and a little you know and a little bit of love with regards to the fluff that game could shine you know it could shine like master of magic shine i just think that you know they've kind of missed a trick with that and there are other games that we can level that same criticism over i don't really have a clever segue to uh the mechanic that i want to talk about but the diplomacy mechanic in Star Ruler 2, I think, was something pretty unique. The uh, use of influence as a resource that isn't just to tilt trade deals, but to actually affect the map and the game and the relationships in real ways. Uh, and the way that you bid on cards definitely seemed kind of gamey, but uh, it was it was something completely new. And it had still in the end had a feel like diplomacy, like like uh, a real struggle of influence against influence amongst the spheres. I think it was had a really good feel to it. I'd like to see more games do something a little more inspired when it comes to diplomacy. Okay, well, so I'll agree with that. I think it's easily one of the best and easily one of the most dynamic diplomacy systems ever. Like there were just so many things that, again, it was also a chance thing, right? Like it was all about what you could... What, what was drawn, right? Because every time a game started, there weren't always the same cards available. And the the way that the, they were drawn out and, you know, dealt even was was always fun to see. And it was always kind of interesting to see how those were used uh, from, you know, f- from whoever used them in a way that, you know, sometimes changed the game pretty significantly. I mean, there were a few cards in that game that if you if you got them, uh, you could change the, you could turn the tide in a way that you just can't do in any other game, and I, I really liked it too. I think it was a little gamey. I'm with you on that. I wish there was a way to find out, uh, figure out a way to use that concept and take away the like card gaminess, especially since everyone and their mom is doing card games nowadays. But if they could provide a way to do similar, complete similar actions without pulling cards, I think that would that would be something pretty damn special. Um, was I the only one who found the card system in <clears throat> Star Ruler 2 a little bit distracting from the, the rest of the game, though? Because you really had to keep an eye on it, didn't you, in order to in order to keep up in that game? And um, I found that I got lost with it sometimes because I'd, I'd just miss that entire segment of the game because I'm just trying to deal with something else, like, like create, you know, the combat in it, for example. You know, it was quite involving. All of that, all of that game was really involving. So you had to split your attention into two to keep your eye on this rolling market thing that's going on. Absolutely. No, that was one of my biggest complaints too, is that if you weren't paying attention, there were times where you lose out on a card that would have been significantly good for you and is now significantly good for somebody else. And really, honestly, the only reason that the AI keeps up with it is because it can keep up with stuff like that. And the player, unfortunately, isn't able to, you know, to, to simultaneously consider the fact that they're you know chaining supplies together and getting combat going and oh yeah there's this card game that i should be playing that's what i'm saying like i feel like if there was a way to take away the rolling market of all that and to take away some of that 
that gaminess from the card element and maybe have it so that some of those things could be done in a way that's maybe on your own time and maybe in a way that's not quite so dependent on luck. That was that was a card game which was uh, about diplomacy, right? Yeah, it was basically what happens was that you would like there would be a deck of cards, right? And there would be I don't remember how many that would be presented at any time, but you would bid on them and then you would gain them and each of them were different. Like they'd allow you to do a different action, right? And it sounds like Kirk could probably do a better job of explaining this. So go for it, Kirk. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting rolling record kind of mechanic. Uh, so the cards move, I think, from right to left. And as they move, they get cheaper. So, But it, the bid is uh, in real time. So you have to decide when you want to commit that influence to get that card at that time, which is why it requires a fair bit of attention. I see. Okay. I, that actually sounds interesting to me because I... I mean, we have, this is the, your favorite Forex mechanics, but I have to say, I think one of my least favorite Forex mechanics has always been diplomacy. So <laughs> maybe that's a game I should check out a little bit deeper. Yeah, it's good, but you don't, you don't have to use it. I mean, I, I won games with Star Ruler 2 and just ignored that completely. But I think if, I guess if you're playing at a high level uh, or you're playing, you know, multiplayer, then you probably do have to pay attention to it. Because like Rob said, it is clear that there are some cards in there that are really, really powerful and, you know, Missing them is a, you know, miss them at your peril. Okay, well, uh, I also have no clever subway, but I really think, uh, actually, this might even be, uh, it's hard to say which is my favorite between this and ship design, but I think one of the most compelling mechanics for me, especially when you're just starting a game, is having different race mechanics. Like having different races or being able to customize your races. You see it in the in Stellaris. I think it's a pretty common example. You can set up with different whatever different uh, philosophies or whatever they're called, different race leanings. Um, Distant Worlds, you can pick different races that are basically prefab for you. Same with the the Endless Games, you can choose different ones. Um, I actually find that uh, an even better version of this is, believe it or not, in Total War Warhammer 2, where you have uh, not just different factions, but they have like variations of different factions, which is pretty cool. There's probably other games who have done this, but since... Total War Warhammer 2 has kind of like a, a leader general mechanic in it that's pretty uh, strong. You can choose different leaders, and then that changes the play of your faction. Um, your base units are all the same, but you ch- changes it a little bit. I really like that. But to me, the pinnacle, the best, is when they give you... It's a do-it-yourself system. They give you like some race points, and you can just go to town creating whatever you want. Um, probably Galsiv is... Uh, I, I'm not. I've never been like a huge fan of the Galsiv series. I really played a lot of Galsiv too, probably because I love this customization. But the race mechanics—that's that's something which can get me into a game just by itself. I'll suffer through a bad game if I can design my own race. <laughs> yeah, and I guess this will actually present me with a segue for mine, which is asymmetrical race gameplay. Which I've I've I know anyone who's ever listened to this podcast is like, okay, Rob, cool shut up. We, we understand you like asymmetry when it comes to faction design, but you know, I, I really enjoy, you know, the replayability that it presents when you have races that are just wildly different. And there's been so many games that have done that, you know, and, and I think that there's a variety of ways you can do that that makes it interesting too. Right. So if we go back to ascendancy where ascendancy, each of the races had like a, an active 
ability that you could use at any given time. And some of them, again, if you use them at the right time, were pretty damning, right, for anybody else. And that was pretty cool. So, like, pretty much everything else about the game and everything else about the races were, you know, you know, simple plus or minuses here or, you know, some small affinities towards something else. But their active ability was unique to that position or unique to that faction. And it was it was pretty damn cool. And then you have other, you know, asymmetry where you talk about endless games at all, where it's clear that each of those factions has an affinity for a particular way of playing. And maybe they're not quite as exciting to me because you're going to play them once or twice and then move on to the next one. However, that gameplay is going to still feel unique, right? So like if we go to the newest or one of the newest, hell, I forgot how many expansions Endless Legend end up with, but the Inferno expansion with the Kapaku, and they were just very lava-bound, right? They were just like capable of doing some really cool things with the new gameplay mechanics that were introduced in that, that expansion. And that was the way all of Endless was, right? Endless Legend in particular. Each of the factions had a very strong affinity for, for A, the, the gameplay mechanic that was being introduced with the expansions, but B, you know, just it had a way of you know, revolving your gameplay entirely around a certain way of of playing. And that was cool. And then finally, I'll say that you had also a game where, I mean, I go back to Swords of of the Stars, um, Swords of the Stars, where you had each of your factions being able to get around differently. And that also created some really cool, fun asymmetry. And that was also based on, you know, a, a faction history and some cool backdrop background stuff that, you know, really helped set the mood, help, you know, fill the galaxy with this really cool lore and stuff like that. But, you know, there's just a lot of different ways you can set asymmetry in factions. And I, I, I would, you know, I, I just love it. No matter which way you find it, if it's active abilities, if it's unique gameplay focuses, or if it's just different traversals, uh, traversal, like, um, I guess like strengths, <laughs> whatever. All of them are cool. So, you know, asymmetry rocks. All right. I, I do think endless, all the endless games have done this very well. I mean, they have always had that very diverse plays for the different uh, factions. So yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I do prefer if you can customize it yourself and then do your own thing because you can essentially create your own asymmetry that way. But yeah, the endless games have done it well. I'm trying to even think what other ones have done it well, but uh What's the game which has done asymmetry the best? Do you think it's the endless games? I would say if you were talking about strict age symmetry, that endless is probably the best, like the endless series. I think uh, if you were to consider, I, I would say before that, Swords of the Stars was definitely the one because, like you know, the way they moved around and the move that they moved their fleets was pretty important. But I would say, you know, the the only thing that I would say real quick before I move on is that I would. I, I I would almost hesitate to say that Endless is a good model to follow because as I said before, I really feel like it felt like you kind of got pigeonholed into a particular gameplay. And once you completed like a game or two as like the Broken Lords or something like that, you were kind of done with them because you knew how you were going to play them every time. And that was to just accumulate an ass ton of dust, right? Um, and, and that's the way that almost all of them do that. So, And you also mentioned the different... Uh, modes of travel which is pretty cool i i really liked it when stellaris had those options in the beginning of the game allowing you to do uh. that <laughs> and then they took it out right but but yeah i think that would that really made for 
it's a very interesting strategic decision to choose which of those three styles, which was like, well, whatever. For those people who are played Stellaris, they know the three styles. It was a really interesting gameplay choice to choose which of those three you wanted to do. And I think the game was a little bit better, a little strategically deeper when it, it was available at the very beginning. I just want to go back quickly to something that Eric said. You know how you were saying that you really like these um, race mechanics where you can actually build them yourself, you know, and that kind of comes from Master of Orion 2 and that. That's really cool. I'd, li- I'd like to see any games that are doing this in the future also include the ability to include your own victory goals as well much like in distant worlds so that's one of the reasons why i like distant worlds because when you when you pick a when you pick a race it actually sets the uh, a certain percentage of the uh, of the goal that you need to achieve as being a faction specific thing so um that's really cool and i'd like maybe that's something that we could integrate into this into this race designer like what is it that your race is kind of focused on and perhaps what can they you know is there a way that you can leverage that in order to win? So if you're an economic-based, let's say that you know we were creating, I don't know, Ray Fowler, if he's listening, perhaps with Remnants of the Precursors 2, and he's going to have some sort of Nolan-type race, um, you know, which is based around the economy, would they have a, a, a race-specific goal that you could actually include into this race designer if you were going to go down that way? Uh, you know, or if you were a war-focused race, just like in Distant Worlds, you need to get a certain percentage of all the kills in the galaxy, that kind of thing. Maybe that would be cool. So, uh, like building on uh, the the endless uh, series of innovations that have uh, already been mentioned, uh, my the second point that I was uh, going to mention is something that's going to be a lot more I don't know if controversial is the right word, but uh, is the uh, the combat mechanics in the endless series, and uh, they're like the most widely maligned part of the entire series. Uh, people really, really don't like them. I haven't. I don't think I've seen anybody ever uh, defend them, and that's not what I'm going to do. Like, I, I don't mind them as much as some people seem to do, but uh, they're just—they're not good. And amplitude haven't nailed it. But what what I like about it isn't the mechanics themselves, but it's kind of what they represent. Because combat uh, is, but like has already been mentioned before, there's it, it, it's kind of been the same for at this point almost thirty years. Like in uh, every, uh, like almost every planetary uh, 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 4X game, 4X game, you're just like shoving units up against up against each other, uh, like they did in Civ One until one of them dies. And even in Civ Six, which has so drastically different from uh, from basically every other game of the series, uh, like more the more different, the further back you go, obviously, still has that same fundamental concept of just bashing units against each other until one of them dies. And in space, there's just... Uh, space 4X is still really cling on to the the the, the uh, Master of Orion 2, 1 and 2 model. But uh, with 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 Endless, the Endless games, yeah, it, they're not great, but they're trying something different. They're trying to do something new and unique. They're trying to innovate in the same way that they've innovated on basically every other field. And that is what I like so much. What I said about uh, at the gates as well. Like I see the the promise and the potential and the concept. And in the case of Amplitude, they're actually going to make more games. So I sincerely hope that they're going to uh, uh, that they're going to finally nail it at some nail it at some point and like influence the the rest of the genre in, in a way that they haven't done yet. Yeah, I think that with you know Endless Legend, 
I, I mean, I personally found that combat system a little bit slow, but at least they did try to utilize the terrain and the map itself and, you know, um, do something a little bit different. Like that old Civ model that you're talking about, that kind of goes back to roguelikes. And it really is, you know, you just bump into something and some kind of underlying mechanic works out who wins and who doesn't. And that's that worked with the older Civ games because you wanted to be focusing on the strategy, right? It wasn't a, meant to be a complex simulation. Um, so I'll take your Endless Legends and I'll raise you a Shadow Empire as a game that really, really throws in a, a brand new way of looking at combat with regards to 4X. Now, we are cheating somewhat with this selection because it it is a 4X game, but it's also a war game. But I think, I mean, anybody who's played Shadow Empire and really likes it will probably back me up on this, that the, the warfare in Shadow Empire is absolutely amazing, especially when you consider the the logistics thing that you've got to kind of take into account there are so many ways to wage war in shadow empire once you're at war with somebody and that really takes the 4x genre in a direction that i don't think any other game has gone it's so super focused on the on the war simulation that and it does it well as well i've got to say um it's one of the elements of shadow empire that really works really well and you can see uh, vr designs as ex experience with past war games in there and the fact that he's been able to transplant that from the war game genre into a forex and still make it work i mean you can have battles that are enormous like massive like literally hundreds of units on each side and yet you can resolve your turns relatively quickly because the system's quick and that is you know that's a phenomenal achievement for anybody who's ever tried to play a game like you know Gary Grigsby's games like you know War in the East and that they can take hours some of the turns that you're playing Shadow Empire is much quicker and that is really that's really quite um, an achievement so you know I mean I, I appreciate what Endless Legend was trying to do I personally don't like it I don't think it's that fun to play actually the combat in Endless Legend however um, it, at least it was different and they made an they made an effort to try and push the genre in a different direction much like um, much like uh, Star Ruler did we you know with the diplomacy yeah, so there's two different sides of this coin, right? So like I think a lot of people want either one of two things or maybe both. <laughs> I don't know. But for me, I've always I I would agree with strategia. I think that you know, I do like the almost abstract way of of handling combat because I don't want to be too bogged down in some games, right? So like for me, I I enjoyed Endless Legends combat because it was quick, but I had some say in it. And I think that that was enough for me. I, I could be like, all right, you know, let's focus on this particular unit or whatever it is that we wanted to do. And, you know, and then the resolution of that combat was fast enough that I didn't feel like I was bogged down and taken away from the strategy layer. You know, whereas you have a game like Planetfall where you're sending in combat sometime for 30 minutes, right? So I'm with you. I like the idea. I like some of the thought processes behind Amplitude Studios take on combat because i know that they've realized that that 4x games are more about empire management and less about the desire for combat or maybe the the need to see combat you know completed in in very tactical ways but i'm also you know i go back and forth i really enjoy i really enjoy having if i'm gonna have control i want control like fa uh, fallen enchantress legendary heroes or you know, something like that. So it that's a balancing act that I don't want to be a part of. <laughs> it's a difficult one to get right, isn't it? It's really difficult because, sorry, it was a little bit disingenuous of me to, to contrast Shadow Empire with for le le uh, Endless Legend because they're very different games. But I just thought that it was an interesting 
you know, it was an interesting contrast. Um, if I was just very quickly to give an example of a game that kind of blends those two a little bit, I'd say Warhammer, uh, Warhammer 40k Gladius Relics of War, because that is a very much a war game as well, but it's also a 4x and it's much quicker to play than Shadow Empire. And yet the combat is 20 times better than Endless Legend, <laughs> in my opinion. So I think a lot of the discomfort there is because a lot of uh, design, the it's fund- fundamental design of 4x tends to have the tactical and the strategic intention. And you have a problem where, uh, for instance, uh, Civ Five was broken on launch. The reason was because you could have a spearman and a horseman. And if you knew how to use them correctly in a tactical way, you could destroy everyone immediately. Uh, obviously, you don't want that to happen, right? So you have to have a lot of uh, work done to make sure that that doesn't um, one doesn't crowd out the other. Um, and speaking of the the macro level, I'm kind of surprised nobody's talked about uh, any economic systems. But uh, if I want to go back to Star Ruler 2, because uh, it's always fun for me, um, the uh, the way that they chose to simulate an economy in Star Ruler 2 was fascinating and different. It, uh, it had uh, resources that would put economic pressure. So if you had a bunch of science crystals and you imported it into a planet, uh, it would promote uh, buildings of research labs and stuff like that. So you could kind of tweak how your planet would develop uh, based on what you would import to that planet. I found that was really neat. I am so glad you mentioned economy because I was actually going <laughs> to mention specifically, I like a game with a private versus a public economy. And I'm not just saying that because I really like distant worlds, but I think it really helps um, immerse me into the game. Uh, I also like the fact that in distant worlds, you just have a, a clutter of civilian ships moving around that you have no control over. It adds to the the feeling of an immersive universe. And I feel like whatever, I don't, I don't know. I can't think of another game, which you see all these ships moving in and out that it makes you actually feel like the game is alive. So anyways, uh, private versus com- public economy. That's, I really like that. Yeah, it's strange that that was also going to be like my third. If if someone stole my second, it was going to be my third. And I think that speaks to the the mechanic and anyone who's really been deeply involved or deeply like invested in a game of distant worlds can understand like some of that stuff you just want to be able like again, this is where my head's at, right? Like I want to be able to pawn off some of this stuff, right? Like I don't always want to have to focus on the military stuff. I don't always want to have to focus. I definitely don't want to have to focus on the on the economy stuff. I enjoy the process of of helping set up the infrastructure for some of that stuff to, you know, start building or start to accumulate, you know, money and funds and then, you know, spur off this like giant economy eventually. But I don't like being able to, I don't like having to simply focus on stuff like that. So yeah, I, I love the private economy. I think it does a lot for the flavor and the, the feeling of a, of any game really. I mean, I've, I've never seen it really. I know that shadow empire does it right, but I, I like the idea and I like seeing that kind of stuff occur. It just makes the game feel much more alive. I really appreciate how much uh, work the private sector does in distant worlds, but uh, since everybody knows how I feel about distant worlds, um, I would really want it to be much more clear about what's actually going on under the hood. Uh, Cause it's, it's, it's bizarrely obscured as someone who is friends with a lot of economists and kind of dabbles in it. It just 
none of it makes any actual sense and i like to be able to make sense of it okay i'm going to go with one last one <clears throat> and my pick here is just something i mentioned which is warhammer 40k gladius relics of war and the reason why i'm picking that is because it's folk it knows what it does it's focused on combat and it executes it extremely well at the expense of one of the you know one of the cornerstones i guess of forex games which was thing uh, which was diplomacy and espionage and stuff like that it just completely throws that out the window it's not law friendly for warhammer anyway and um it just the way that they executed the uh just the just the military system in general everything is streamlined towards war everything is about pumping out units uh we've said before on the show but it, it plays very much like a turn-based rts in some respects um i guess a game that it seems very close to would be something like battle for wesnoth um it really feels like that you know you're you're pumping out units you're using those to take more territory you're building more cities or taking over other cities with them and then you're you know pumping out more units it's quite simple but it's just so well executed um, I don't know if people know, but Gladius has actually sold really well. And the fact that they've had like six DLC now just kind of supports that. So I'm really pleased that it's not just us, you know, or the, or the people here who have spoken about the game with a lot of love that agree with this. It's clear that the audience liked that as well. Um, and it's it's certainly allowed the Forex genre to spill out into into more mainstream gaming, you know, or m- more I'd say more mainstream strategy gaming, at least, because there's a lot of people who clearly appreciate the the way that Warham, uh, Warhammer 40K executed that. Well, this goes back to one of the comments I made earlier that I don't think diplomacy is done very well in the Forex games. So I think that if you could just push that dev time into polishing other aspects, then you'll probably end up with a better game. I, I feel like you just can't... I haven't seen a game really do emulate humanity uh Maybe I, I don't actually had a good time with the Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri, but anyway, um, I, I don't think it's been done well. Well, and so I'll say that I think that diplomacy should be kept pretty basic. I think Remnants of the Precursors or Master of Ryan 1 or something like that, you, you, some of the like older school 4X games where diplomacy was really just there to either keep you at peace or to initiate war or maybe to set up some sort of trade deals but really wasn't too investing and wasn't too again (laughs) distracting uh that's that's the common theme with me um but yeah as long as it wasn't too distracting i think that there you know I, i believe a game like gladius could exist with a very basic diplomacy system but just have a fantastic battle system you know like I, I'm, I'm with you ben i think gladius is a fa- i mean the way war is presented and the way the units all have their own u- unique like basically like positioning and and role on the battlefield it feels great i still think you could do that and have a forex game over top of that and i'm hoping one day we can find that and see that yeah d- diplomacy i agree it hasn't ever really been done well but I don't think that that means we should just give up on it and only ever relegate it to the basic stuff. Because, we, like I said, with, with the combat as well, we've had that basic stuff of like peace, war, trade, and maybe a few types of alliances for 30 years. Uh, and I really think that uh, it, there somebody, maybe Amplitude, maybe somebody else, should come along and go like, okay... Uh, we want to do something more with diplomacy. We want to innovate. Uh, we want to, 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 uh, to actually make it work this time. It's going to be difficult, uh, but uh, it, it, it's probably not going to work the first time. It's probably not going to work the second time. But I, I definitely do think that there needs to be innovation rather than just resignation. 
I think that might be the title of this podcast, Innovation and Not Resignation. <laughs> That's good. I like that. That's poetic. Hey, guys, this was excellent. I think I mean, we could keep going, I believe. I think we could all sort of maybe even come up with a third or fourth that was something that, that left a, a mark on us, that left a, an impression. And, you know, but I think we've done a pretty good job of illustrating some of the things that we really like about the Forex genre that are unique to the Forex genre and also that are unique to specific games. Hell, I mean, it's unfortunate. And I and I think Strategia said it pretty well is that it's it's just a damn shame that a game like Alpha Centauri hasn't been <laughs> at least attempted since then, right? Like there's been a few like half-ass attempts and, you know, but a lot of the things that made that game specifically unique and, and memorable and a game that we still talk about 20 something years later are have completely just run out so i mean they're they're gone and unfortunately you know i'm not sure that we'll ever see some of those gameplay mechanics again and that's just that's a damn shame alpha century is a work of art and in, in many ways and you can this is a, this is true of any any kind of artwork by the way and it doesn't just apply to video games but you can really tell when a piece of art of any kind has had a lot of effort put in and you can tell more so than you can just from the experience of enjoying it. There's an energy that comes from that game. And it's something that's really um, resonated with so many people right across the world. Um, it might be because Brian Reynolds has this degree in philosophy or whatever. You know, I, I didn't know that, by the way, but it, it's, it's clear to me that that's the case. There's a lot of effort gone into every aspect of that game. And perhaps instead of spending all this money on trying to do fancy graphics and sound and all that kind of things, if there was just a little bit more effort put into every aspect of a, a you know, into rounding a game in, in a way, just like Alpha Centauri, because that it's still an amazing game. Now, if you can look past the old graphics, it's, there isn't an experience that's quite like that, um, that affects you in quite the same way. That's real high concept stuff. And it borrowed heavily from things like June. Yeah, I know it's not, it's not totally original, but there's some re it was a vessel for transmitting some really, really powerful messages. And um, we can do that in strategy games if we want. We just need to try. There are a few games who've tried similar things. And, you know, there, 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 I mean, I'm, you could say something like Fear has tried similar things. It's trying to get a message across, you know, in a certain way or, you know, just to kind of paint a kind of vibe. But it's not often that strategy games really do this. So, you know, there is room in the world for, for more exploration into or into saying a certain message or or painting a sort of picture with these games that goes beyond just the game mechanics because we talk a lot about game mechanics and that's a very specific thing but the art behind the game and the, the love that's put into it that's something else and maybe developers could try to try to spend a bit more time on that aspect of game development i see it a little bit in the endless games as well i've got to say i think they really tried with with those and that's the amplitude are to be commended for that without a doubt they really tried to make something tangible you know beyond the actual gameplay mechanics so um, I'd like to see more of that in gaming. Yeah, the, the thing that's uh, about the thing about Alpha Centauri and why it's so timeless is it really feels holistic. Like everything ties into each other. It's not just uh, this mechanic stands apart, uh, this thing stands apart. Uh, everything uh, is thought out in advance, and it, it it just connects so well. And that's something that you don't even endless uh, even the endless games don't really. Uh, get quite as far as Alpha Centauri does in just how complete it feels, how natural it all fits together. Yeah. Wow. So 
You guys have all done such a great job of articulating everything. I really appreciate you guys all being here. Thank you so much, Strategia, for joining us. I know it's like, uh, I don't even know what time it is, but I know it's early. And I know, Ben, you always get up at the ass crack of dawn. So thank you. And Kirk, again, joining us, uh, you know, filled in a few weeks ago for me. And, and I appreciate it. So thanks, guys, for being here. Really appreciate it. I'd say thanks to Eric as well, who's who's unfortunately just dropped off the stream. But um, yeah, cheers, Eric. (laughs) Right. And so this was an excellent conversation. We look forward to having more excellent conversations with the Forex Exchange podcast. And until next time, this was Strategia, Ben, Kirk, Eric, and myself for Explominate. We will talk to you guys soon. See you later, guys. See ya. Toodles. Bye. And I'll say bye for for Eric too. Bye. (laughs) Take care, guys.